You're listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We will be joined by cancer experts to discuss blood cancer diagnosis, treatment, side effects management, and the importance of clinical trials. They will share their experience in treating patients and discuss strategies for optimal patient care. Let's get the conversation started. Welcome to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. I'm Dr. Ken Miller. I'm a medical oncologist, hematologist, and an LLS volunteer. And I want to thank all of you so much for joining us for this episode where we will be discussing updates in CAR T cell therapy, including highlights from ASH, which is just finishing up now. We'll talk about how to refer a patient, management of toxicities, and both the promise and the limitations of CAR T therapy, and much more. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Dr. Sattva Nilapu, who is a tenured professor and deputy chair in the Department of Lymphoma and Myeloma at the MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Sattva, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dr. Miller. It's my pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. So, obviously, in our field of hematologic malignancies and, and just in the field of oncology, um, it's been a very exciting time the last few years with the advent of CAR T therapy. But I want to ask you, you know, if you could give us the 60,000 foot overview of what is CAR T therapy, and then we'll drill down a little bit further. Sure. Uh, so CAR T cells uh, therapy, it stands for chimeric antigen receptor T cell therapy. Uh, it's chimeric because it has two parts to it. So there's one part which recognizes the target antigen on the tumor cells. And then there's a signaling molecule which provides the activation signal to the T cell when the target is recognized on the tumor. So this is a genetically engineered T-cell therapy product where an artificial receptor is induced into the patient's T-cells. And it takes about typically two to three weeks to manufacture uh, for, for each patient. And then those T-cells are infused back into the patient uh, in order to treat the cancer. So along those lines, though, those two components the way I heard that was one that recognizes the antigen and one that activates the T cells. Is the activate portion of that fairly uniform across CAR T or are there different approaches? If you would sort of dissect out those two parts a little bit more so we can learn about it. Yes. So the signaling molecule part of the chimeric antigen receptor or the CAR molecule has, again, two small components. One is called CD3 zeta, which provides what we call a signal one for activation of the T cells. And the second part is called the co-stimulatory molecule, which provides signal two for activation of the T cells. And currently in the FDA approved products, there are two types of co-stimulatory molecules that are used. One, some products use CD28 co-stimulatory molecule, whereas others use 4-1-BB co-stimulatory molecule. And all of the FDA-approved products currently have CD3 zeta to provide signal one for activation of the T cells. And depending on what type of co-stimulatory molecule is used, there can be some differences in what type of effects are seen in the patients. For example, CD28 co-stimulatory molecule, if it is present in the CAR, it provides a much more rapid expansion of the CAR T cells. 
and these patients tend to have more cytokine production and slightly more toxicity compared to you know, products that have a phone BB co-stimulatory molecule which causes a more gradual expansion of the CAR T cells and also you know, makes the CAR T cells persist uh, longer as compared to CD28 based products. Oh, so interesting. It sounds like you're trading off a little bit of fast response from a more durable response. Is, is that correct? I think uh, what we are seeing so far uh, with the usage of these two products is we can see durable responses with both of these products. But you're right, with CD28 products, we do see a faster response compared to F1BB-based products, although the differences seem to be fairly small overall. So I'd like to turn to the, you know, to, in a sense, the other's side of the molecule or the CAR-T, which is you know, in the lab. So the material is sent to one of the pharmaceutical companies that's manufacturing the CAR-T product. What actually happens there? How do you get the uh, the patient's T cells to recognize the antigen and in a sense to recognize the, uh, hopefully the specific antigen that's on the tumor? Yeah, good question. So the way this CAR-T product is generated is first, um, the patients undergo a procedure called leukapheresis, where it's sort of like a blood donation. It takes about three hours and it is done as an outpatient procedure where we take blood from the patient, pass it through a machine, separate out T cells and put the rest of the blood back into the patient. And the T cells that are collected are then shipped by overnight courier to the manufacturer. And at that point, they introduce with the help of a viral particle, the artificial CAR receptor into these cells um, and then expand those cells before shipping us a uh, frozen product. Now, with respect to targeting the particular antigen on the surface of the tumor cells, for CAR T cells that are currently being used, we use an antibody-based binder. And uh, this binder would be specific for, in the case of B-cell lymphomas and leukemias, the FDA-approved products uh, target CD19 molecule that is present on most of the B-cell malignancies. In the case of multiple myeloma, the FDA-approved products target a molecule called BCMA, which is also present in most patients with multiple myeloma. But when we choose these targets, though, you know, we have to choose in such a way that these targets are not present on some of the vital organs and tissues in the body. Otherwise, we, it can lead to severe toxicities. Those two molecules that are currently being targeted, CD19 and BCMA, have fairly restricted expression in normal tissues you know, in the body. CD19 is really only expressed in uh, B cells, normal B cells in the body besides the tumor B cells, and BCMA is expressed in uh, plasma cells in the body, you know, besides the multiple myeloma tumor cells, uh, and they're not really expressed in other organs. So actually, I wanted to ask you about that, you know, for the, at least for the community practitioner in oncology or hematology, I mean, most of us are using a lot of checkpoint inhibitors. I mean, it's a daily part of our practices in solid tumors. And obviously, the concern there is for autoimmune phenomena, and sometimes it's a contraindication. Have you seen in your practice any, or has it been reported, having, in a sense, you know, innocent bystander organ toxicity, other than those related to cytokine snorm? Is that a problem in your clinical practice? 
Yes, so currently with the CD19 cars and the BCMA cars, because these molecules are also expressed on normal B cells and normal plasma cells, as long as the CAR T cells are functional in the patients, we can see elimination of normal B cells or elimination of normal plasma cells. So in the case of patients with B cell leukemias and lymphomas, we do see B cell aplasia being developed in these patients because of which they can also develop hypogamma globulinemia. Uh, similarly, patients with multiple myeloma being treated with BCMA cars have depletion of the normal plasma cells, which can lead to hypogamma globulinemia as well. But this is something that can be treated fairly easily in patients because patients with Hypogamma globulinemia are at risk of recurrent sinopulmonary infections that can be prevented by monthly uh, intravenous immunoglobulin infusions. Now, is your sense that these will be lifetime for a patient? Is it lifetime aplasia, uh, or in this case, you know, hypogamma globulinemia, or do you see a slow recovery? And actually, along those lines, let me ask you. I mean, we're still where are they? hopefully, hopefully at the tail end of the pandemic. But what are the implications for patients in this era of uh, the COVID pandemic? Yes, I think this is an important issue for these patients. But interestingly, what we are seeing, at least in adult lymphoma patients, as well as myeloma patients, is that normal B cells can recover after CD19 CAR T cell therapy. For example, in the case of large B cell lymphoma patients, we see about half of these patients start to recover their normal B cells by about a year. And by three years, virtually all of them have recovered the normal B cell after axisol therapy, which is one of the FDA-approved C19 CAR-T products. And along with that, we see a recovery of normal immunoglobulin levels also in these patients. In fact, in adults with B-cell malignancies who are treated with C19 CAR, majority of the patients do not require prophylactic IVIG treatment. In fact, only about 30% of them seem to require prophylactic IVIG infusions, and that too, you know, temporarily for a few months to maybe a year or two, you know, in most cases. In contrast, for children with pediatric ALL, you know, who are treated with CD19 CAR, uh, these patients, because currently TSSL is the only approved product uh, in, for pediatric ALL, these patients tend to have prolonged B-cell aplasia and they seem to require IVIG you know, replacement therapy for many years. That may partly be because of the fact that when we are young, we get exposed to various uh, infections and because of that, we develop long-lived plasma cells in the, in the bone marrow, which can persist right. for years and that can produce protective immunoglobulins. So because that, I think adults are more protected you know, compared to you know, children. Uh, and similarly, for multiple myeloma, uh, these patients tend to require much more intravenous prophylactic immunoglobulins compared to B-cell malignancies. But what we are seeing is that the effect of these CAR T-cells eventually wears off. Uh, and it seems to, to some extent, depend on the type of the CAR T product. As I mentioned earlier, the CD28 CARs tend to have a shorter duration of effect compared to 4-1-BB cars, but we are also seeing that 4-1-BB cars effect also can wear off after a certain period of time. So as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself about B cells and about 
tumor biology and, and immunity to tumors. But for the patients who have the more profound B-cell aplasia, is their risk of recurrence any different than those who don't? And really, in a sense, what I'm asking is, do B-cells play a role in tumor immunity? Yeah, great question. So the initial thinking was that if these CAR T-cells don't persist long-term, there'll be an increased risk of recurrence. But now we know, know based on data from multiple studies, at least in adult B-cell malignancies, both looking at and lymphomas, long-term persistence does not seem to be required. We do require certain amount of persistence, probably for a few months, but beyond that, it's not really clear that's needed. In fact, the thinking is increasingly that it's really not required. And that's partly because if you think about what do we need to do to cure cancer, we basically need to eliminate every cancer cell in the body. So if that elimination is occurring within the first one month or two months or three months, which is when most of these patients seem to achieve complete responses with CAR T-cell therapy, we should not be requiring long-term persistence. So I think on the other hand, in ALL, pediatric ALL though, there is literature suggesting that loss of functional persistence of the CAR T-cells seem to increase the risk of relapse. But nobody knows what is the exact duration that you need for of persistence at this time. Generally for adult B-cell malignancy, we think six months or less is more than sufficient for persistence. Now to answer your earlier question about the COVID, well, what is the potential risk of this B-cell aplasia in patients in the era of COVID pandemic? There's definitely increased risk if they have B-cell aplasia because their bodies can't make antibodies against this uh, COVID. So we do give prophylactic, we've been giving prophylactic shell for most of these patients to protect against COVID. What's also not been well recognized is that patients who receive CAR T-cell therapy also have delayed immune reconstitution of the T-cell compartment. Um, mm -hmm. And that's partly because the fludarabine-based conditioning that they receive before receiving CAR mm -hmm. T, also partly because of the CAR T-cell therapy itself, which seems to affect the immune reconstitution. So because of that, also they're at increased risk of COVID-related complications, as well as other opportunistic infections. So it's interesting. I have to say, as again, a non-CAR T practitioner, I guess my belief had been that CAR T stick around is for indefinitely, if you probed really carefully beyond six months are, or when you do, are you seeing none of that or are you just seeing at a very low levels of sort of the uh, clone of the CAR T that's sort of in the background or are they gone? Yes. Yeah, so if we detect with flow cytometry, most of the time they become, they're not detectable beyond three months. But mm -hmm. if you use a more sensitive assay, such as the quantitative PCR, uh, which can detect up to one in 100,000 cells, we can detect that these cells persist much longer, months to years. In fact, the UPenn group has shown that, uh, recently published that uh, following TSSL therapy in pediatric ALL and CLL patients, they have found persistence up to 10 years, functional CAR T cells. So I think it does vary from, depending on the type of CAR-T product. But one measure of what's more important is their functional CAR-T cell persistence or not. And one way to determine that is whether they start to recover their normal B cells in the peripheral blood. Because recovery of normal B cells 
following CD19 car would suggest loss of functional CAR T cell persistence. So a lot of times we still can still detect this CAR T cells by PCR, but they have recovery of normal B cells, suggesting those CAR T cells are not really functional at that point. With these changes in the immune system, is there any increased risk of second cancers in patients who are further out, who hopefully are cured of their first cancer? Yeah, so for the second cancer risk that we've seen is mostly related to myelodysplasia and secondary AML, and which mm -hmm. we think is probably related to the multiple chemotherapy regimens that these patients receive, and maybe even partly related to the fludarabine and cyclophosphamide-based conditioning, but nothing that's been directly related to the CAR-T product itself. There is a theoretical risk of insertional mutagenesis leading to a T-cell leukemia or a T-cell lymphoma mm -hmm. um, with RT product because it's a genetically engineered product. But so far, nothing has been reported with the FDA-approved products, although there are a couple of investigational studies where they have reported a T-cell leukemia or a lymphoma arising from the CAR-T product. Well, let me just ask you, were you at ASH this year or were you following ASH? Yes, uh, I was at ASH. I think what we saw at ASH is an update on a number of the pivotal trials with longer follow-up, both this year as well as last year. And you know, one of the important follow-ups that we've seen in lymphoma uh, is an update on the TRANSFORM study, which is a phase three randomized study that compared lysosel with salvage chemotherapy followed by autologous stem cell transplantation in second-line setting in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And last year, they presented a six-month follow-up data. Now they have almost 18-month follow-up data, and the data looks very strong with almost half the patients still in remission after a single infusion of the CAR-T product. So I think the data looks very encouraging you know, based on this transform study as well as a similar study called the Zuma 7 study, where Axicel was tested also head-to-head -head with autologous stem cell transplantation in the second-line setting in large cell lymphoma. Both of them showed about 40 to 50% of these patients have long-term remission, and because of which these two products have been approved in the second-line setting in large B-cell lymphoma. We also saw some updates in the follicular lymphoma studies, CAR T-cell therapy. On the Zuma 5 study, as, as well as the Elara study, the Zuma 5 study evaluated Axicel in relapsed refractive follicular lymphoma after two or more lines. And the Elara study evaluated Tisocel in, in a similar patient population. Uh, with, and both of these studies are single arm phase two multicenter studies, uh, had about 100 to 150 patients. And now they have follow up of almost two to three years. And both of them show durable remissions in about 50 to 60% of these patients ongoing at 30 to 40 months. So I think the data also looks very promising in follicular lymphoma. We also saw a number of real-world studies uh, looking at outcomes in patients with B-cell leukemias, lymphomas, as well as multiple myeloma with their FDA-approved products, uh, both from within U.S. as well as other countries, including Europe. And all of those studies have confirmed that the efficacy of these products in the real-world settings even in patients who would not have otherwise qualified for some of these pivotal trials that led to their approvals. 
So along those lines, the cost is very high. In fact, let me ask you, what is the present cost? And along those lines, what do you see as the future? I'm looking forward to your predictions in terms of what will happen with that. Will there be off-the-shelf CAR-T and what impact will that have on its availability and the expense? Yeah, so we also saw some presentations at Ash on novel CAR-T products. And these include CAR-Ts targeting other molecules because the current generation of CD19 CARs in B-cell leukemia cell lymphomas appear to cure about 40 to 50% of these patients. So there's still Mm. a lot of room for improvement. So one of the mechanisms of resistance appears to be in both leukemia cell lymphomas appears to be CD19 antigen loss. So one obvious uh, way to address that is to target other molecules. So we've Mm -hmm. seen quite a few, several updates on CD22 targeting cars in leukemia cell lymphomas, and they look very promising. We've also seen cars being developed against Hodgkin lymphoma and T-cell lymphoma targeting CD30. It's in earlier stages, in phase Mm -hmm. one at this time. There are also cars targeting some T-cell malignancies, targeting CD5 or CD7, or the constant region of TCRB, C1, and they're all in early phase one studies as well. Now, that's with respect to targeting other molecules. Now, in order to improve the manufacturing process and to bring down the cost, there have been a couple of uh, approaches that are being explored. So the current generation of approved CAR-T products take about three to four weeks for manufacturing and before the patient can receive the product. So there's one update on a product being developed. It's called YTB323, where it's actually the manufacturing process has been cut down to two days uh, from the standard of eight to 10 days. And so the turnaround time now is about seven to 10 days as opposed to waiting three to four four weeks with the approved. So we've seen some update on that with about 35 patients treated with a very low dose of cars. We are seeing complete remissions and durability comparable to what we observed with the earlier generation of cars. So I think that's a product to, you know, that's an approach that um, several companies are now pursuing to shorten the manufacturing process. But along those lines, as you asked, there are also efforts to develop um, allogenic cars using T cells or NK cells derived from healthy donors or cord blood or even iPSC derived products. And we've seen a number of updates on phase one trials from allergenic cars. And what those studies show is that these products can be very safe. We are not really seeing any graft-versus host disease. We are not seeing increased rates of CRS or neurological toxicity. The response rates seem to be comparable to what we've seen with autologous cars, but the follow-up has been short so far. So we don't yet know about the durability of those responses from these allo products. But if they're successful, they have potential to be an off-the-shelf product. Uh, so there's practically no wait time, and they could potentially decrease the cost of therapy as well. Well, I have to say, I'm certainly hopeful that will happen. What's your sense of uh, of timeline with that? Because, I, again, it feels to me as a community practitioner that there is a large group of patients who unfortunately relapse after we treat them for diseases where certainly we're doing this with curative intent. And so what's your idea in terms of timeline for allogeneic off-the-shelf CAR-T to be 
mainstream if, in fact, it proves to be effective and safe. You're absolutely right. In fact, with the current generation of commercial products, because they're autologous, because they can only be given at dedicated CAR T centers, uh, majority of the patients who actually need this therapy are not able to receive them. In fact, the estimate is that probably only about 25 to 30% of lymphoma, leukemia, and myeloma patients who actually need are able to receive this at this point. So, we, so one way to improve that is to improve the access by developing allergenic cars. So as I mentioned, they are mostly at phase one level, but the first phase two trials have just been launched with an allergenic CD19 car product in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And additional products are also being you know, going to be launched next year. So I estimate for those trials to be completed and to get approval to have sufficient follow-up is probably we are looking in the three to five year range. So I have to say, you know, one hand, three to five years is a long time. On the other hand, looking at how credible CAR-T has been as an addition, hopefully will feel like a short time too for us and for our patients. I want to ask you about combination therapy. I mean, frequently what we do in oncology and hematology is a combination of, of different drugs or different modalities. So what are some of the ways to combine a CAR-T with other therapies? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, the first generation products are really targeting only one molecule in the cancer cells. So naturally, we would expect resistance to that because tumors can mutate and lose the antigen. So one strategy that's being explored is to engineer the CAR product so that it can target multiple molecules. For example, the CARs being evaluated targeting 19 and 22, 19 and 20, 20 and CD79, and so on. And similarly, in multiple myeloma, we are looking at uh, multispecific cars targeting BCMA with uh, GPRC5D, which also looks like a very promising target for uh, myeloma. But the other way to do is to combine CAR T cells with existing products in development or that are already commercially approved. So one of the reasons why we think CAR T-cell therapy is not working everybody is because the patient's T-cells could be dysfunctional because of the cancer itself or due to the therapies that they receive. Uh, and what's been found, for example, in CLL and now mantle cell lymphoma is that if this patient receive a BTK inhibitor, such as ibrutinib, for a few weeks before the leukapheresis procedure, their T-cells become more functional and that yields a, more, a better CAR T-cell therapy product and leads to better outcome. So those studies are ongoing. We also now have other immunomodulatory agents which look very promising, for example, by specific antibodies uh, targeting CD20 look very promising in lymphomas. So there are efforts now combined by specific antibodies with CAR T cell therapy, either in a sequential manner or you know, giving them simultaneously. So those trials are just getting started as well. And that could also potentially minimize the chance of immune escape by the tumor because then you would be targeting two different molecules on the tumor cell surface. So I want to ask you about, again, just projecting toward the future. You know, now CAR-T is approved for several malignancies in the second line, really stretching this a little bit further and drawing from, again, immunotherapy and checkpoint inhibitors in solid tumors. I mean, we use checkpoint inhibitors now first line for lung cancer. Could you imagine, again, with the allo CAR-T off the shelf, 
do you see this therapy ever moving to the front line? And I know that may be sort of stretching it, but I thought I'd ask anyways. Yeah, so that's actually being planned. In fact, CD19 cortisol therapy has been evaluated in first-line setting in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma in high-risk patients. A small phase two has been done and found to be very promising. So based on that, a large randomized phase three trial is going to be launched in 2023. So definitely moving to first-line. Similarly, first-line studies are being planned in ELL as well uh, and multiple myeloma. So that, those are with autologous CAR-T products. But as you mentioned, with an allogenic CAR-T product, it would be much easier to do first-line studies. So uh, there's definitely talk about that. We don't yet know that what the timeline is going to be, but I think it's definitely more appealing to use allogenic CAR-T products in the first-line setting in the long term. So you were pointing out that a relatively low percentage of patients are getting CAR-T therapy than, as compared to the, the number who would be eligible. So share with us a little bit, if you would, what some of the roadblocks are. And also, I'd like your perspective on who should be referred and in what part of their cancer journey. Yeah, so I think one of the most important things for when considering a patient for CAR-T cell therapy is early referral. As I mentioned earlier, the T cells in the patient can become dysfunctional. The more chemotherapy regimens that they receive, the more dysfunctional they become. And the longer we wait, the more they'll have a higher tumor burden. And higher tumor burden has been associated with poor outcomes as well, both with respect to safety as well as efficacy, even with cortisol therapy. And so I think early referral is key. You know, in the case of diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, it's approved in the second line. So as soon as a patient relapses after first-line therapy, one needs to refer to a CAR-T center. In the case of mantle cell lymphoma, it's also approved after one line of therapy. So that's another area too for early referral. For follicular lymphoma, because more than indolent lymphoma, I think not all patients need CAR T cell therapy. It's currently approved in the third line setting for follicular lymphoma. But there are some high risk patients, such as what we call as POD24 patients, who progress within 24 months after first line therapy. They are probably the ones who would most benefit from CAR T cell therapy. So, anytime you have a patient relapsing early after first line therapy, one needs to be thinking about CAR T cell therapy down the road for those patients and should refer to a CAR T center. In multiple myelomas, currently is approved in the fifth line setting, but there are several trials ongoing in the second and third line setting as well. So I think anytime you see a patient with myeloma that has high-risk cytogenetic features, it's important to consider cortisol therapy. Thank you. Very important to keep in mind. And I have to say, as a, again, a community practitioner, I do keep it in mind. And we're fortunate. I'm in Baltimore, but we have two centers that are actively involved in CAR-T. And in other parts of the country, I'm sure it's more difficult. So this is Dr. Ken Miller. I have to say it's been a really wonderful session talking about CAR-T, and I think especially timely because of the recent ASH meeting that's just concluding. I was joined today, and I want to thank Dr. Satva Nalapu, who is a professor at MD Anderson. Satva, thanks so much. Thank you, Dr. Miller. And I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today. For additional CAR T-cell therapy resources, be sure to check out our LLS webpage, lls.org slash cart 
therapy and for a listing of all our continuing education activities and healthcare professional resources, please visit lls.org CE. For any questions or to refer a patient, please contact our Information Resource Center by calling 800-955-4572. Information specialists provide personalized one-on-one support to help patients learn about their disease, treatments, financial, and other support resources. And I look forward to you joining us on our next episode. Thanks for listening to Treating Blood Cancers, the LLS podcast series for professionals. We can be found on iTunes and other podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.treatingbloodcancers.org and provide your suggestions for future topics. Visit our archive section on our website for other great podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and on Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And access our professional continuing education activities by visiting lls.org CE. Let's keep the conversation going. Until next time.